On this episode of Year One, we speak to Hiro, founder of LearnKey.com, an online education portal that allows coaches to connect with learners through one-to-one video live sessions. Hiro does not sugarcoat the journey. He says it as he is. The lows, the hardships, the highs, the challenges are real, and you need to be clear about your whatever it takes. Sit back, buckle up, and enjoy the ride. Welcome to Year One, hosted by me, Dio Klopis, and my good friend, Satish Bala. On Year One, we speak to early stage founders, business owners, and entrepreneurs about the highs and lows of the early years, the challenges and rewards, and everything else in between. So, without any further ado, let's get into this week's conversation. Ira, welcome to Year One. The first question that we ask everyone that comes on the Year One podcast is, what made you decide to become an entrepreneur? What was that thing that happened in your life that put you on this path that so many people want to travel, but don't travel? It was always in me since I was a child to be entrepreneurial. Unfortunately, or fortunately, I don't know. I was born into Soviet Union where entrepreneurship was a sin. So I tried a couple of things in school. I was buying candy and chewing gum, selling it to my friends, and I ended up having problems with the school management. My parents got phone calls. My father was my first bank who loaned me 400 rubles at that time to buy my first box of 100 chewing gums. I was selling it for five. And then after that in university, I was in the business of copying books for the students. It was hard to get all the books. So I was copying and selling and then again got in trouble and then when I moved to Canada, I found a job. I do. I was doing other works. I was in mining and in, and I was working in the German government in Afghanistan. I was doing mergers and acquisition in Saudi and from Bulgaria. So it was a little bit of an experience going all over the world. But when I ended up in Cal- in Canada, I wanted my children to speak French because Canada is two languages. And in Port McMurray, when I was looking for tutors, I learned that an hour of a tutor costs from 60 to 75 bucks an hour, which is, which was a shock for me coming from Armenia, where a very qualified, high level of experienced tutor will teach you for five, seven, 10 bucks an hour and 10 bucks an hour is considered expensive. And then my other daughter, she wanted to learn how to play guitar. I looked again and another guy was teaching for $70 for half an hour. And I'm like, this is crazy. And I have three children and I was like, this is going to take a lot of my income. So my wife said, there must be something on internet where you can go and find teachers or people who can teach you. I'm like, yeah, sure. So we tried, we, we started to do video courses. And when you do a video course, it's a very strange experience because you kind of go through the first 20 hours and it's very boring because you already know what it is. The basics are very boring. Yeah. And then when you get to the most, more interesting part, uh, you start having questions or you have parts that you didn't really understand what the person meant. And you go through some things that the person is explaining you, but you don't want that. You wanted something else. It's not exactly what you want. That didn't work. And then my wife was like, why isn't there a place where you can go find a teacher, a person who can teach you exactly what you want without all these intros and histories and all these other things. And here we are. How long ago was that, Aaron? That started maybe five years ago and we were going through like the idea sits in your head for a long time and you are going through this and cooking and shall I really start? Maybe not now. Oh, we have a small child. Oh, we're planning to renovate the house. Financial risk, my job, 
my wife's life. It's, it's a toll on your whole family. It's not only on you. And my test was if I cannot get rid of this idea, only then I will start executing. So I was kind of trying to suppress that emotional push to do it. And the moment I failed to kill the idea in my head was like, okay, I have to do this. I cannot get rid of this. I love that. And before you guys continue, I hear some dings. I don't know if somebody's got a Slack open or email open. I just want to cut, make sure there's nothing loading in the background. Well, I'll check. No, it looks like I'm okay. Okay, cool. Yeah, I've heard a bunch of like little like chimes. I just double check mine to make sure nothing is open in the back end. Yeah, I've got nothing open my side. All right, well, all day is making noises in my head. Uh, <laughs> listen, man, kids at an early age learn from watching. We don't know what's happening in the world. We just watch stuff and what parents do, we try to emulate. So when you're like at an early age, I had this entrepreneurial spirit. Are there people around you that were doing this? Or how did this get into your DNA? Now that you say it, maybe my father had friends who were doing business, like they were moving products from Russia to Armenia, from the bigger cities to small cities, and then they helped set up shop in some smaller cities in Armenia and then flying the products. And I think they were making like bed sheets for hospitals. So I saw a lot of organization and a lot of entrepreneurial spirit. And I'm like, that's what I want to do. But yeah, I guess that's where maybe that's where it comes from. Also at that time, we got an inflow of all the Hollywood movies into our lives, which we never had. And there were a lot of cool guys who were doing cool things by the, on their own. Yeah. And now the way that we were coded, programmed was you grow up, you go to university, you get a profession, you get a job, you get a family, you get children, you're done. That was the program in our head. And then when I was seeing these movies and the alternative ways just to realize yourself in your life, who you are versus what's your job. Your job is not you and you shouldn't be a job. And that's part of the philosophy also in learning because when you go through a pre-designed system of education that is financed by corporations, you become the brick in the ball. Nowadays with internet and freedom, you have an option not to do that. You have an option to follow your passion, you follow your dreams, and we all hear these stories when a younger, the child goes to the parents and said, I'm not going to go to university. I'm going to follow the passion. What the parents say, they say, no, no, you have to get education. You have to get a job because that's what they know. They have no idea what's on the other side. They never even risked to think what could have happened. I don't go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say, that's a very interesting point that you raised. And I'm going to ask you now, so how are you raising your children differently then? Woo! Here we go. We carried on it briefly. <laughs> Absolutely. So my, both of my children, older ones, are now working. They are doing babysitting and teenage stuff. My my children are always, I don't know if you know what the Facebook marketplace is where there's a yeah. free yeah. stuff available. So I'm now saying, can you get something free? I'll drive for you and sell it for a dollar. Just to try it out. And I'm going to be very honest. It's also very to be very careful because for some people learning and studying in a university and getting a job is the right choice, right? It's not yeah. like why it's not that if they do it, it's bad. So my older daughter, she, when we were younger, she was born with a heart problem. 
So in through young age, we were very much exposed to hospitals and doctors. And then when she was five, she went through an open heart surgery, very emotional. And she was very close to this. And since then, she says, I want to be a doctor. So, oh, wow. Listen, if you want to be a doctor, I'm there to help you out. My other daughter, she is a little like the middle children. They're always little nuts. So she, she asked for a sewing machine for Christmas from Santa. That's what she got. She was sewing her own skirts and tops, modifying the clothes that she would buy in a thrift store. And then the next Christmas, she asked for a nail kit. They have this artificial, I don't know if you've seen, they have the artificial head and then you can glue nails on it. Yeah. That's what she got for her next Christmas. And for the Christmas after, she asked for canvas and paints, like oil. And that's what she got. She's kind of looking for it. And I'm like, go look for it. And now she says, I want to open a nail salon, manage it, and then make more and more nail salons. And I'm like, cool, I'm fine with it. Brilliant. This is a very big advantage for me to be able to raise children in a country like Canada, where your education and your job do not define you, one. And from the other perspective, no matter what you do, you are not going to die of hunger. Whatever is your passion, if you are doing something very unique and you have maybe very, let's call it weird in a good way, strange, weird thing, you are still going to be fine. Whereas in much more challenging economic environments, if you don't have a job, you are going to have a very miserable life because the social systems are not there to protect you. So though we want our children to be free, the economic situation, the social systems in the countries have to support that freedom. And most of the cases in, in the, let's like in a post-Soviet Union countries, the systems aren't there. If you don't go and work or you are not connected or you don't know somebody up there in the top, you're not going to make it. Great insight, man. And we chatted about it briefly in a past call, but this is sort of a similar vision we have for Schoolio of why do we have to wait till they go to university or later in high school to say, hey, what do you want to do? Why don't we, because we are in an economy where, as you said, even if they're pursuing their passion, they're still not going to have the same challenges as somebody else. Why not ask much earlier in life, hey, what do you like? What's your passion? What's your interest? And maybe we can start to bring some of those things much earlier into their education. And we redefine education from learning the history of everything in the world to learning that in addition to the, what you want to do for the future. So I love what you're trying to do. How much of that thinking influences you as an entrepreneur? So the message that we send to people, first of all, we are not going to teach everything. Obviously there are some professions that you need to go through formal education, like engineers, doctors, lawyers, where you are going to apply your knowledge, where the risk of life is in, involved. I don't think we can provide that level of expertise, let's call it yet, not limit our dream. But the way that we want people to learn is not by learning for four years and then doing, by learning by doing. So what I'm saying in our messaging, when we're communicating with our potential customers, we're like, learn Java by building your first app. Learn web design by building your first website. Learn coding by building your first project. When you look at the current education systems, especially with these new professions that come into life, 
major universities, they put a four-year program, they charge you $40,000 and you lose your four years of your life to go and learn social media marketing. So when you can just find a person who can do it, show you, teach you, and you can start doing in a week for way much more, way more affordable rate. Even starting for free, you can start learning for free now on LearnKey. What? Go ahead. I was just going to say, I want to stay a little bit with LearnKey, if you don't mind, because you started off and you said you let the idea simmer. And when you realized that you couldn't get rid of the idea, you knew you had to pursue this. Now, for me, what would be interesting is to understand you've had the idea, you let it simmer, it bothered you and you said, I need to pursue it. How did you take that seed from a thought into a reality? Because if you look at what you're doing, you've got so many different components. You've got the technology, you've got bringing tutors on board, you've got finding your audience. That all didn't come together just overnight. What was that journey like for you, Aaron? As a first-time entrepreneur, I think like the, what's happening, you just dive into it with your eyes closed and yeah. without having any idea what you're doing. And I think that's a beautiful thing to do. Investors, they always look for second-time entrepreneurs, fifth-time entrepreneurs, because they are MBA people. They look at numbers. Yeah. But we're looking at the passionate and emotional side of being entrepreneur. The most attractive part of it is the figuring out process. Okay, what do I, what do we do now? So, okay, we have to build this. Okay, we build this. People don't understand. What do we do now? So you go back, you talk to people. They say, okay, why is it confusing for you? And then you realize that it was something very easy, stupid, and simple. And then the button wasn't even there, for example. Then you're like, okay, there is a free lesson for you. Why don't you book? And then you realize, oh, I have to book today. And then I have to walk for three days. And maybe I'm, I don't feel like anymore. And you're okay, time is a concern. So you kind of unravel step by step. What you thought is a very simple click of a button process becomes a more complex journey. And then you have to focus on every single step and understand what other people think about this. And you realize that there are no two same people in the world, which is something very obvious and clear to you, maybe confusing for somebody else and the other way around where, for example, when I say none of us reads emails, everybody say, yeah, none of us reads emails. And then you go and check and you learn that 80% of sales in e-commerce comes from email. And then you're like, okay, something is wrong. Then you dig deeper. So this process of meeting problems, trying to find out and going insights to unravel all the details and then reconstructing back and watch it work this time is a very satisfying thing. And Hira, did you work with beta testers or did you have a circle of friends or colleagues or advisors that actually helped you on this journey? Because some of the new entrepreneurs are going to listen to this. Nobody cares about what you do. Nor your friends, nor your family, nor your children, nor your parents. They don't care. You are alone in this. It's going to be painful. I'm going to say so many bad things so you don't even start this. But remember what I say. Don't start it. It's going to be a very painful, lonely, dark, cold journey. Especially the first five years. And then maybe something good will come. But... No, I didn't have friends. I didn't, I asked them, but you know, they're busy. They have their own lines, not because they're bad people. Like 
the, there are several levels of verifying things. You can always ask your colleagues and friends, you're talking and so on. And 99.9% .9 of the time you'll say, yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, I will, I will buy. <laughs> and then you build it and then you like, yeah, yeah, it's cool. Maybe next time. <laughs> so refreshing to, to hear the truth <laughs> because all of us that have been entrepreneurs, we, we like, we go down this path, we tell all of our friends from like club nights to e-commerce. I got you back. I got you back. And then you're like, I'm open. And then nobody shows up. <laughs> and what you do, you have to find real people who have the real problem that you can really fix, help. So that's what the journey is, right? Because you are building a product that is supposed to help people, whether it's solving a problem or making their life easier or better, whatever. You have to find the real customers who are to get re who are ready to take out the plastic and say, yes, I don't help me. I have this problem. You build a product to help me. And in the beginning, you will take the money and you will not help because it's the first or second or fifth customer you are trying to help and things will break and they will send you a very angry email and most probably you will send them the money back. But if you look at the positive side of the things, this is cool because you will say, yeah, I'm sorry it didn't work. Can you please tell me what didn't work? Can you please tell me how do you think it should have been? And then, especially in a marketplace that we are, you have two sides and then when none of them is happy, that's even worse or better, I should say, because if I double the gold every time you screw up, yeah, but that's how you go with it and then step-by-step, fail-by-failure, fail-fast. So let's talk about resourcing a little bit, man, because most of the time when we talk to first-time founders, even if they have some money, they spend it in the wrong place. They hire the wrong developers. They don't know how to do it. And so we, when you were starting this, obviously, you know, I don't want to make the assumption, but you have a technical background. How did you building a tech product, a double-sided marketplace? Talk to us a little bit about some of the challenges of finding the right team. How do you trust people with your money at, the, at that early stage? Of course, the early stage is when you're constantly changing what you think you want. Talk to us a little bit about how you were able to optimize funding and timing in the beginning. Uh, I wasn't able to optimize. I get this question a lot at work also. They say, how do you manage to fit all this stuff in one day? I'm like, I don't manage to fit all this stuff. <laughs> it's a nice story to say, yeah, we did this, we did that, but it's wrong. Like we wasted so much money. And when I look back, I know what I should have done. But at that time, you make decisions based on what you know at that time. So we gave the money to the wrong company. They did an awful website for us. It wasn't working. It was failing. We wasted too much money. Okay, lesson learned. So this is the next level is just to keep going. Because if you decided to do it, you do it no matter what. And when we say no matter what, it's just three words. But when it starts really happening to you, does this really qualify for no matter what? Isn't it too big of a price tag, too big of a sacrifice? What does really no matter what we mean, you realize when you start giving up things. It's time with your family, with your kids, with your wife, money that you wanted to spend on a vacation and you don't. And then it starts really hitting your heart. What does really no matter what we mean? That's like in the very early, you're like, I will do whatever it takes. And whatever it takes becomes real for you. That's not what I actually meant when I said whatever it takes. So yeah, we did our mistakes. We wasted. No, I, I shouldn't say wasted because we learned. So we spent a lot of money on the wrong company. We spent a lot of money doing advertisement on the wrong channels. 
Bad times and happy to say that after all these mistakes, we now know what works, what doesn't work. Sometimes knowing what doesn't work means more than knowing what works. My, my grandma always brings this example and say, when you're born, there are two ways your life will go. Either you'll get all your hardships early in your childhood and you'll learn a lot and then you'll have a beautiful life because you know everything and you know how to get out of tough situations. Or you'll have a very easy life before you're 30 and then things will get tough and you don't know what to do because it never happened to you. Then you start learning, but it's too late. You're not flexible and then you'll suffer. So I guess we can say we were very lucky because everything we've done so far was failing. <laughs> that's a great way to look at it, man. And I, and I, when you're explaining that, I'm like, ooh, that's what my therapist should have said because <laughs> my first 20 years was horrible. <laughs> and instead of trying to understand it, they could have just told me what your grandmother said. Don't worry, Satish. The first 20 to 30 was horrible. That's fine. The next 30, if you're lucky to be alive, it's going to be okay. <laughs> Whenever you don't die in the end, it's just an adventure. Once you don't die, the rest is fine. Oh, tell us a little bit about your team. So how big are you guys? Do you have a co-founder? Did you raise money? Tell us a little bit about your journey. So yeah, I have, I have three co-founders. One of them is in Berlin. The other one is in LA now. The third one is in Armenia. Our team, we have a team of five developers from Armenia. We have an S and content development expert in Armenia, and we are also utilizing the gig economy because we are an advocate of gig economy. So we support the freelancers, content creators, content writers. We want to stay true to our philosophy and going against the corporate world, not become another corporation. So we're like, okay, we have some preferred freelancers we like to work with. They develop content for us. We publish it, some small jobs. We always keep it, source it out to people versus companies. We've been successful in getting some support grants from the government, from Alberta Innovates, from C. We got a grant from, uh, no, a loan from BDC and Future Premier. And I got a lot of investment from my wife. She's my friends and family around. Man, your board meeting, it must be fun. Yes. Mostly piloto. Oh man. So one of the things we chat about is sort of the pros and cons of the new immigrant mindset, right? The new immigrant mindset in some ways is good because we know how to take a dollar and make it feel like 10. But and sometimes the opposite happens where we know we have to spend 10 to make a hundred, but we don't spend the 10 because we're thinking in a conservative way. I have that challenge as a founder all the time. And so when you are looking at the next 12 months to 24 months, what are some of the things that are like scary for you? Maybe it will sound extreme. If I always, every morning and every evening before I go to bed, I say, thank you, God, whatever God means, because it depends where your marker is. I learned one thing, people who win lotteries, they move to a rich neighborhood. And they start comparing themselves to the rich neighbors and they feel the same frustration that they feel felt when they were in their older neighborhood. So my today's life, I have to compare to my life 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago. And I'm like, thank you. I can do whatever I want. I have a dream that I'm pursuing. I have children who are healthy. I have a roof over my head. I have bread on my table. What else do I want from this life? So what I'm afraid of is that I will die. If I don't die, I'm a happy person. It's a very minimalistic approach. And I'm a very big fan of the stoic philosophy. 
worrying about things I can control and not worrying about things that I cannot control. So if I just keep doing what I'm doing and enjoying this problem solving process, sometimes I feel really down. Sometimes I'm like, I'm, at least once a week, I go to bed, I'm like, tomorrow I'm going to close the website now. It's enough. Next morning, the sun is shining, kids are running around and I'm like, why are you closing it down? I'm talking to myself. Why do you want to close it down? Is it hurting you? Is it killing you? Why do you want to close it down? And I'm like, yeah, okay, let's keep going. And it happens a lot because the frustration levels and then motivation levels and then it comes and goes, depends on weather sometimes. In Fort McMurray, you have very long and dark winters. In summer, everything is sunny and nice because we have long sunny days. But I, it's challenging myself to keep going, to figure things out, to, not because of the prize in the end, but for the game itself. You don't do the journey for the destination, but for the journey itself. Absolutely. Are we coming to the end of the session? We usually start, we end up with three quick questions, but before I get there, you started off and you've been so transparent, which is absolutely really refreshing. And you've said it's difficult. It's crap. It's hard. You are going to battle. You're going to do so much. You haven't sugarcoated that at all. But my question to you is knowing that, and despite all of that, would you change anything? Maybe some change, some changes to the way I did it because I know already the mistakes. Yeah. Not whether I do, I would do it still. I would do more. I would have started things earlier. I would have started more things. I, because the moment I started, the moment I started doing it, the lightning thread went through my brain. Like, why are you doing this now? Why you didn't do this five years ago? What's the, what was holding you back? Why you didn't do this five years ago? Because thinking about starting is much more scarier than starting it. Yeah, absolutely. And then to close off, Sarah. Well, I want to make one, one comment. Oh, please do it, please. Or for the new guys, like what you said, being this open and vulnerable and transparent, I do this as a favor for all the others, because when we're looking to all these big, successful overnight businesses that they talk, that's a trap that I fell. I'm like, these guys, they say, oh, we built this small app and the next morning we woke up and there were thousand people on our server and we had to buy new servers. That's crap. That's never the case. And I don't know why they don't, I don't know why they do this, why they tell these stories. I think they're just trying to get rid of the competition because normal person will listen to this, build whatever they build, wake up next morning, see nobody on their servers and say, okay, maybe this doesn't work. But what I want to call it like a 10 year overnight success. Nobody talks about the 10 years before the overnight success. They talk about the morning but not about the 10 years of the big night they had to go through. That's why I'm like, I want to people who listen to this from my experience, just to be honest and let them prepare themselves and have the right expectations. When they step into this, they should know it's going to be hard to be ready to take this, not to give up too early to know, yeah, everybody is going through the same. It is hard. It's okay. It's not that I'm doing something wrong that it's hard. It is supposed to be hard. You know what, Hiram? I'm not going to ask my last question because I think this is actually the perfect place to close out. That message that you've left for the people out there, I want that message to remain as opposed to the next question. So all I can say from my side, from Satish's side, obviously talking on his behalf, 
been amazing. So refreshing, absolutely brilliant. And this is exactly why we've started this podcast, that people know the truth. They know it's going to be difficult. There's no bullshit involved, but it's also going to be rewarding if you persevere and see it through. Year One is hosted by Dion Kloppers and Satish Bala and does not constitute a recommendation for any organization, product, or service. It is engineered by BlueMex. For more Year One content subscribe where you get your podcasts and visit BlueMex.io to join us on Discord.